Well, it's great to be here in Bendigo, and uh, we've just had a wonderful greeting at uh, Eagle Hawk Campus. The warmth and uh, the joy of their worship was really, really encouraging. And uh, you guys are doing a great job. And it's a joy to be here to be able to do the second thing that I love doing, which is opening up God's Word. Uh, It's not my Word that will bring life and hope and encouragement. It's God's Word that breathes life and hope and encouragement. For those of you who don't know me, yes, I do have an accent still. Instead of you trying to guess where it's from, I'll tell you that I'm from Northern Ireland. I came out here as a 13-year-old. When my family migrated out, when uh, the Civil War was going on in Northern Ireland. And uh, my mother is Australian, so I'm a half-breed. And uh, so I'm half Aussie, half Irish, but more Irish than Australian. But then when you look at Australians and you go, uh, when you look at Australian history, it's Irish anyway. Um, Their humor is Irish. Their music is Irish. uh, Their sarcasm is definitely Irish. Anything against the English, that's fine. Um, But one of the things that I love to do is just to help people to really embrace God's Word. Because God's Word is living. God's Word is living. And it breathes life. And and I'm glad somebody's excited. um, Because, you know, in some of the churches that I've been to... You know, people sit there and it's like morbid. And yet God's word wants to breathe life. And I know that the word that I have for you this morning is a word that will breathe life. It will breathe a sense of challenge and encouragement. um, But it will breathe a sense of hope and a sense of response. And I know that at the end of my message, I'm going to provide you the opportunity, unlike where I left the response and had to come here, I will be part of uh, allowing you to, if you're needing prayer and aspects of what I'm going to be addressing, um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. So before we even get into God's word, I want you to know, when God's word is spoken, he's always looking for some sort of response. And not, oh, that was a good word. No, I don't want it to be a good word. I want it to be a word that was for me this morning. If you've got your Bibles, um, whether it's on your phones or whether it's uh, the old-fashioned way in a book, um, which I still prefer, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 1 in one of the most powerful prayers Paul wrote. Who likes to be prayed for? Yeah. Okay, well, most of us like to be prayed for, and uh, this is a prayer for you. Because when we look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, and Paul is writing to a group of churches, he says this in the English translations, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. In the English, we have the word Ephesus. In the Greek, which which it was originally written, the word Ephesus does not exist. And so this is a word to Bendigo Baptist Church. He says, to the saints in Bendigo, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And then in the next few verses, what Paul does is he, he addresses their identity. 
And that's a critical thing, particularly today, of people understanding their identity. People are wrestling with identity today. They're trying to change their identity. They're wrestling with identity. And the dynamic is that God has a plan for your life, and it's to come into a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ and understand your identity in relationship with him, of which we will address in, in a couple of minutes. But going over to the prayer after he addresses this particular aspect, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of God. Now, my focus today is to focus on getting perspective in life and ministry. Everybody has a perspective on things. They have a perspective of their own lives. They have a perspective of how church should be. They have a perspective of how the government should be, how countries should be run. They have a perspective on everything. And then we have our own perspective of ourselves. And... In light of this, there's a little saying, you have your perspective and I have mine. Or another way of putting it, you have your truth and I have mine. Who's right? Everybody's right. According to the world in which we live in, it's okay. Your perspective is okay. But it's into this worldly perspective that God speaks. And he wants us to embrace the reality of his perspective. And I want you to be able to embrace the reality of what God's perspective really is. That when you leave today, you will go out with a new perspective of life and ministry, with a sense of anticipation and a sense of excitement about knowing God's perspective and then living in the reality of that perspective running and controlling and leading your lives. And so, to start off with, God says a perspective of life and ministry is a perspective of gratitude for what we have. In the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 1, and because we're recording, um, I'm not going to ask questions because that means it's difficult. And so we we can see in the first few verses from verses 3 following, Paul encourages the church in the introduction to this letter, and he encourages them by telling them what they have. And the very first thing that we see 
that he says in verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with some spiritual blessings in Christ. What? My wife recognizes that I made a mistake. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Then you go back to church. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in relationship to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Doesn't that excite you? That every spiritual blessing that is available to us is in Christ. Outside of Christ, zip. Nothing. All spiritual blessing is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So once you come into a personal and intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he blesses you with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ as a congregation. And you have everything that you need according to his plans and purposes in our life. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see as we, as we go through this, and we haven't even got to my points yet, is that you are chosen. Many of us were, when we were kids at school, we, were, we played the proper football, um, you know, the round ball game. Um, yeah, I know, you're Aussie rules players. I did. I, and you notice with regarding, I, I'm glad Norm's here. I, I was concerned he may have stayed at the, I'm, I'm concerned you may have stayed at the MCG. You've been at three games this week. And, um, and I thought, good thing there's no game on there today. <laughs> at least you're in church. <laughs> Hallelujah. So the dynamic is, uh, in, when I was at school, they, they chose the best players in the soccer to be the captains. And as a result of the being the captain, they get to choose their players. So it was interesting to always watch. And you're going, um, this version, oh, I'll have Peter, um, I'll have Andrew, I'll have Alice, um, I'll have Mary, I'll have Bill, I'll have this person. Oh, you can have Graham. How did I feel? I'm a reject. I'm not wanted. I'm a leftover. I'm one of those ones they handball when, when they don't want it. To be seen in that particular mess. And maybe there's many of you this morning that are feeling rejects. But God chooses rejects. And I'm glad. Because he doesn't see who I am. He sees what am I going to be. And this is the exciting thing. He sees that I am just some scrawny little kid that can do this and can hardly put words together. And then he chooses me and he says, oh, by the way, I put my words in your mouth and you're going to speak my words. You're going, who, me? Who, <laughs> me? <laughs> I'm Irish. He says, that's right. All good people are Irish. <laughs> you see, God's got a sense of humor in light of this. And so have the Irish. And the dynamic is he's chosen you. But he hasn't chosen you to do what I'm doing. He's chosen you for a specific purpose because the world needs you. And there are so many people that are feeling rejected, left out. When you continue to read through this passage in Ephesians 1, we see that not only are you blessed with every spiritual blessing, not only has he chosen you, but he has forgiven you. And so many of us are feeling unforgiven. 
we still go around with a sense of guilt and a sense of shame and a sense of embarrassment for something that we did when we were kids or, or things that we happened to do when we were a little bit older. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ on the cross bore my sin and my sins were thrown away as far as the east is from the west and they will be remembered no more. Oh, what a blessing. I am forgiven. And maybe you're this morning needing to hear this word. You are forgiven. I've chosen you. I've blessed you. Oh, by the way, there's more. I have given to you a deposit of my Holy Spirit who has come and lives in you. Your body now is not your own. It's mine. And it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. When we start to cherish our bodies and understand what our bodies are, the very dwelling place of God Almighty, wow. Why would you want to live in my body? Because I choose to. I choose to. And you as a congregation and the exciting things, that you need to be so caught up in that God has deposited his spirit to reside, to live, to lead, and to guide your life. Because I want you to know you cannot live this Christian life without him. <laughs> it's impossible. I tried it. I tried living under the law. I tried living under the aspect of do, 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 do. And I kept feeling guilty and kept feeling shame. And I came to the point, and I was at college when this happened. He said, God, I can't do it. You see, what was happening for my life at that particular point in time, I heard the call of God into pastoral ministry, and I responded. And the element is that the, most of the students who were going through college at that particular point in time were highly intellectual, except me. And so because of my embarrassment, I decided that I would try to keep up with them and do nine subjects. And guess what? I failed. And I remember this one particular day of walking around. I can't do this anymore. And God said to me, good. But I will. And you know, from that moment on, I have not failed. Because it's not about me. It's about him who called me. And you see, my life verse at that particular day was 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he who called you, and he will do it. Oh, oh I had been trying to do it. It's not about me. It's about he who began a good work in me. He wants it to be worked out through me so that my life is a blessing to those around me. Maybe you've been trying to do it. You've been feeling guilty and shame. 
And it's time to say, I surrender. I surrender. Well, let's get to the message. So, a perspective of gratitude for what we have. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a living faith. It's an active faith. And a faith not just, oh, well, I believe in Jesus. (laughs) We've got lots of people who come to our churches who believe in Jesus. But is their life uh, lived out of an active faith of taking hold of their belief system and not only an intellectual understanding, but actually a transforming of their way that they think and the way that they operate? Their lives are so in tune with God that God is working in them and through them. Their life was an active faith. And for that act of faith, we need to be getting into the Word of God so that the Word of God gets into us. And through us, the Word of God is lived out. The act of faith is not about just attending church. The act of faith is not just about reading the Scriptures. The aspect of faith is not just singing the songs. The act of faith is being and doing what God called you to do. It's a real-life faith. James talks about it, even the devil believes, <laughs> and he shudders. The reality is, is your faith something that is evidenced, or is it just something that you call, well, it's mine, it's personal. Did you realize that when you came into the, into became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not an individual faith, it's a cooperate faith. <laughs> you come into a family, and you take on the name Jesus This is our faith. I know that people are seen by the fruit that they evidenced in their lives. A faith that is living and active. Not only is he giving gratitude for the faith that that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, which was very evident in the church at this particular point in time. And I want to say that it's very evident in you as a church that as you've celebrated 170 years, and it was wonderful to see the story. It was powerful to see the story that through difficult times, faith raised up. Because you could have died. But God breathed life and he brought certain people into the life of your church. And it was a joy to see what happened when these people came and they spoke God's word. And God's word breathes life and breathes hope and breathes encouragement. And the reality is this is where you are today. Wasn't it a joy that as a result of the faith that you have, you planted a new congregation in the center of Bendigo? Wow. It's exciting. This is the faith that we are part of. But not only is the faith that he's giving gratitude for, but for the love of all the people. I was really greatly blessed as I walked into the congregation at uh, Eagle Hawk, and I was greeted by Pastor Andrew, and then he introduced me to his wife, Jill, and and then people just came up and talked to me and they stuck out their hands and they said I'm thinking of you and praying for you and various people I fit in really well with that group of people at Eagle Hall it's just just amazing and then the songs that we sang it was just all about the love of God it was just overwhelming and it's exciting and it and you can see that it wasn't just words it was real Their love 
was being demonstrated at. Now, I want you to understand the reality, and I've had to wrestle with this for the love of all God's people. For, for that to be a reality, I have to be a recipient of love. I can't give love if I haven't received it. You can't give something if you've never experienced the reality of what it is to know what love is. Now, in English, we only have one particular word called love. It's love. In Greek, there are three. Sorry, there are four words. And they all relate to different aspects of what it means to be loved. But then there is this word agape, which is sacrificial love, which says, I'll love you even if you don't love me. God demonstrates his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. Wow, that was a great demonstration. You see, love is not just words. Love is an action. Love is a demo. And when, it, when it's demon, demonstrated, it, it's contagious. People want to be loved because there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear so that when people come into your environment and they feel the love the, the the fear disappears and the love just takes over and they leave transformed and changed because they know they're loved that's my prayer for Bendigo baptist that we can give thanks that anybody is welcome everybody is welcome because they are loved And we don't ask them to change. We allow the transformation of the Spirit of God to bring the change into their lives. We can't bring the change. Only God can do that. And so we need to have a perspective of gratitude for what we have, of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love for all God's people. Secondly, we need to have a perspective of who God is. As I was growing up uh, in my family... Um, and in the church, and I grew up a Methodist, loved John Wesley's hymns and Charles Wesley's hymns and Isaac Watts, and used to sing them, uh, sing them to the glory of God. But as I grew up, my perspective of God was this. God was a, was a king, and he sat on a throne. And uh, on this throne, he also had a big stick. And he just went, he, he, he was looking everywhere. This was my perspective. He was looking everywhere and he was just waiting for me to do something wrong. And the moment I did something wrong, that stick would come down and zap me. Where on earth did I get that perspective from? Dear old dad. What do we call dad? Father. The element of our perspective of God often is related to our relationship with our fathers. And if we've had a father who's been a disciplinarian, as mine was, an authoritarian and and structured in such a way that it wasn't necessarily relational, and I never heard the words, as a young person growing up, I never heard the words, I love you. So I was always fearful. Always fearful. And even though I had a, a sense of coming to know him as a child, And always wanting people to come to know and experience. And my evangelism, and I remember leading uh, my two, uh, the twins, I was about 10. 
my brother and I led the twins to the Lord. If you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, you're going to hell. Now, there is truth in that. <laughs> but it's not the whole truth. And it's definitely not going to motivate. Although it, it, it did, for some occasions, motivate. Because then you're always looking behind you. Have I done something wrong? But the element of this, if the love of God is the thing that motivates, it drives out fear. And so on one particular occasion, I was in my early 30s, and I was still operating under this concept, even as a preacher, for goodness sake, as a preacher, I would look to the older man, and if the older man was doing this, that was my dad. If the older man was doing this, that was my dad. I can't do this anymore. And then I had a vision. I saw God, he was a king, he was sitting on a throne, and he didn't have a stick. But he looked me in the eye, he called me by name, and said, Graham, come here. So though I was in my early 30s, I walked towards Jesus, I walked towards God on the throne, and as I did, I changed into a 10-year-old. He says, Graham, come here. Sit here. And so he picked me up, placed me on his knee, looked me in the eye, and said, I love you. That transformed my life I no longer was operating out of fear guilt shame I'm operating out of love God wants you to know I love you and he did he loves us while we were rebels oh wow but the perspective of who God is, he's described in this prayer as the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know in reality what God is like, we need to look at Jesus. On one particular occasion, the disciples were having a conversation with Jesus and Jesus was teaching them and giving them new insight, and new information. And then one of the disciples said to him, show us, show us the father and that will be enough. To which Jesus looks him straight in the eye and he says, how long? How long have I been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because the Father and I are one. I love how John's gospel describes it. And the word of God became flesh and lived among us. The reality of God manifesting himself in the very person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything I do. Is that because I see my father doing it. 
The way that I speak is the way that my father speaks. I am the manifestation of the glory of God. I want you to understand that if God does not look anything like Jesus, I don't want anything to do with him. But he does. And therefore, I want everything to do with him. The reality of a revelation and a perspective of who God is is not based upon what I've grown up in my tradition as a young child in Northern Ireland under the Methodist teaching. It is not based upon my tradition that I've been raised. And if I'm Jewish, it's not based upon my Judaism. It's not based upon anything other than the manifestation and the revelation of Jesus Christ is God. We need to have a correct perspective of who God is. Do you have that perspective? Or are you basing it on Santa Claus? Oh, I just have to ask and bingo, it's there. Or are you based it upon the, the disciplinarian with the big stick? Or are you basing it upon a father who was never at home and always away? He's more interested in something else. Are you basing it on something contrary to what the word of God actually says? Let's get a correct perspective of the glorious father. Well, that's not all. He says, I want, I'm also praying that the perspective of God is the giver of spirit of wisdom and revelation. If ever you and I need wisdom, it is nigh. You and I are, are growing up and are developing in a world that is very confused. And there's a lot of things that are taking place. And there's a lot of doctrines that are being taught. And a lot of perspectives that are being promoted. And if ever we needed wisdom, it is nigh. We need to be asking. James, when he writes to the church, he says, if you lack wisdom, then ask. Because the Father loves to give generously. The aspect of is, you need wisdom, God will grant it to you. And the other thing is, when he grants you wisdom, he grants you the ability and the insight and the understanding. And he provides so much more than just wisdom. Seek wisdom. This is the God who wants to give you wisdom. But it comes out of revelation. And that revelation is to know him better. That's what the scriptures teach us. And once you know him better and have a greater awareness and understanding of who God is, you will not have a concern in the world because you know that you have a, I love that song, good Good Father. You like that song? It's so true. He wants to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. To know him better so that out of your living your life here in a conflicted world that is going on, you live it out of intimacy and relationship with Jesus and the Father. Well, we come to the big one. 
This big one, it says, is you need to have a perspective of a renewed vision. And I, I'm very conscious that you guys as a church are having visions about discipleship. You're having visions about who people, uh, where you want people to come to faith. And I love the focus that you have on discipleship because that's what it's really all about. Discipleship, evangelism is discipleship. It's not separate from discipleship. We disciple people into becoming followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with regarding this renewed vision, Paul prays in such a way. And he ne- you need to understand, in the context of this passage of Scripture, it's focusing uh, more on the element of this part than the previous parts. I want you to know the hope for the future. That's what Paul prays in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know from personal experience, from an insight and understanding away. I want you to know the hope. Does it concern you as a church, the issue of mental health today? It does me. Greatly. It grieves me. Young, the man who was best man at my wedding. Two years ago, committed suicide. Mental health was overwhelming. Is God bigger than mental health? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I am deeply, deeply concerned that when you lose hope, you lose everything. And you don't have a reason to live. You start believing the lies and the deceptions. And if ever we needed a spirit of wisdom and revelation, it is now. We need to experience the reality because we need to know the hope to which he has called us. And it's talking about the future. Things will not always be the way they are. Does it concern you about the world in which we live in with climate change? Does it concern you with what's going on in Morocco? Does it concern you with what's going on in the Ukraine? or Myanmar, or even in America with the political turmoil that's going on over there? Does it concern you about issues happening here in Australia? Absolutely, it does me. But my focus is not on these things. My focus comes in God's Word, because God's Word says you're going to have wars. (laughs) You're going to have earthquakes. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have all... But then he says... Take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. My hope is in Lord Jesus Christ. My hope is fixed because I know the inheritance that is waiting for me. Anticipated as I join with others in the great new world. Where there's no more tears, there's no more suffering, there's no more... Aggression. The Prince of Peace has conquered. That is my hope. And that's why I preach as I do. Because if ever we need this message, it is now. Because so much is going on and people are confused and and people are anxious and people are overwhelmed. But I am so amazed when we take hold of God's word and begin to live out God's word and apply God's word, then transformation and change takes place. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. But I know I'm not. I know I'm not. 
Well, the final aspect of is a perspective of a renewed vision is not only to know the hope for the future, but to know the power for the present. And this is where Paul puts on the rest of the verses. All of the focus is on the power. And it's interesting what he says. He says this, I want you to know the hope. And then he talks about, and I want you to know his incomparably great power right now for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul wants to, you and I to experience the power of God in our lives. Much of Christianity is words. I love how Paul says, I didn't come to you with words. I came in the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but we are people of words. Words are good, but words without actions, without power, are meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. Notice what Paul says here, that this power is available to us right now in this present age. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we wrestle against the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, in understanding this dynamic of the heavenly places, I want you to appreciate that there are three elements of the heavenly realms. The first heavenly realm is what you and I experience right here, right now, which is physical, uh, emotional. We can see, we can touch it. That is the first heavenly realm. The second le level of the heavenly realm is in the spiritual realm, which is where the spiritual battle is going on in, in each of our lives that is outside of this particular realm. And we see that's where the angels operate. It's where the demonic operates. And that's where there's a lot of tension. Now, Paul addresses this particular element and tells you that's why you need to be dressed appropriately with the spiritual armor. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of the enemy. But then we come to the third level of the heavenly places, which Paul talks about. He says the third heaven is where Christ is seated. Far above all rule, power, authority, and anything that can be named. He is far above everything else. It's all below him. He's going to put his enemies to rest. But he is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all of these other domains, other, the other heavenly realm, realms. Now, if I go to Ephesians chapter 2, where are you and I seated? With him with him now if you and i are seated and, and many of us aren't fully aware of the dynamics of what we're wrestling against here and we think we're on the first and second level but actually paul is encouraging us and tang says that's not where you are seated start getting your mind right get your position right you are positioned in christ in the third heaven and seated with him at the right hand of the Father right now. And when we operate in this particular level, then we are seated about 
above the powers and authorities that when we walk out of here, we don't walk in fear. We walk in the power of the Spirit of God because we know who we are and we know where we belong and we know where we're seated. And then when things come our way, which they will, we have the power and authority to overcome. Paul writes about that in Romans. We are overcomers. But we're only overcomers in a relationship, in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. When we know who we are. And we know where we seated. And we are walking in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave you a name. A name that is above every other name. I'm going to invite the musos to come back. Because with this we conclude. And as we do, the reality is that Paul wants you to experience the reality of having a new perspective on life and ministry. He wants you to have a perspective of gratitude for what you have in relationship with him. Every spiritual blessing. Being chosen, being forgiven, receiving the Spirit. He wants you to know and have a perspective of who the reality of who God is. He's the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the giver of spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. And he is the one who gives you a renewed vision of hope and power. To make a difference in your world today. Have you got that renewed vision? God is doing a great thing at Bendigo. But there's more to come. From a renewed vision that you have of him. And who you are in relationship with him. Let's pray. You are here. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord. So often we've been having the wrong perspective of life and ministry. And we want to get that renewed so that it's in line with your perspective. Of who you are. As a glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ as the giver of wisdom and revelation. Give us that renewed vision of the hope and the anointing of your power to live out this life to be overcomers. Come, Lord Jesus, and speak into our lives as we leave this place this morning. We want to leave with a renewed perspective of life and ministry. Hear us, we pray, in Jesus' name.